Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana. And today we're here to talk about a pretty serious topic, but something that Amanda and I felt was really important to cover in light of recent events. As many of you know, we took a brief hiatus from social media and from recording to gather our thoughts and to invite a guest that we felt would be able to speak to this topic from the heart. So today we are welcoming Erin Spar about talking to our children about tragedy. Erin is a therapist that specializes in maternal mental health and also a mom of two. So welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning, Erin. So before we get started, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Yes, of course. So I'm a mental health therapist. I specifically work with moms through the whole trajectory of motherhood. I really enjoy supporting moms, helping them feel empowered. I use actually a feminist social justice lens. I think a lot of what moms experience is a result of mothering in this society. So I think that's really important to help moms realize. But yeah, I work online and see clients via teletherapy from my office in the Raleigh area. What you just said is really important to us as well. So we followed you for a long time and have always really appreciated your position and the way you talk about things. So we're really excited to have you here today, in spite of the fact that we're talking about something that is really difficult. School shootings are something that hit close to home for mothers, of course. This is something that's been weighing heavily on us, shootings in general. But when it comes to children, it strikes something deep within that's just something that you can't really put words to. Erin, how do we talk to our children about things like this? If we have a hard time ourselves processing emotions and coming to terms with the fact that things like this are still happening, how do we talk to our children about tragedy in general? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to validate it's really hard. And honestly, we shouldn't have to be talking about something like this. I think it's it's normal to be talking about death and grief and loss, but at this magnitude and this frequency, the way that school shootings have become the norm, I just want to validate that this isn't a normal thing to be having to talk about. But here we are, right? In general, being age appropriate, there's not one way to talk about it. We're going to tailor it based on the age of our child, And also maybe things that we know about our child, right? Particularly if you have a kid who's more anxious, you may tailor things a little bit differently and also getting a sense of where they are, right? If you're located very close, let's say like in Texas and your community is affected, you may have different things to talk about than somebody who is hearing it on the news. I think just first of all, understanding that These are complex topics, and so we want to try to be as direct and honest and say kind of as little as possible in order to protect our kids while also trying to invite conversation so that our kids know that we're there for them and that they can ask us questions. That's, I think, one of the main goals is that we're letting our kids know that we're the support system for them. And also, it's not always about like what the content of what you're saying is as much as our kids are sensing how we're feeling. If we are really kind of frazzled, they may feel more anxious in how we're talking about it. So ideally, we want to be matter of fact and say things like, you may have heard on the news or maybe heard some of your friends talking about something that that happened where some kids got hurt. Maybe for an older kid, you might want to say they died. And that means their body stopped working, right? I think we can model emotions. We can say it was really sad and really scary, 
that's helpful. That invites our kids to use that and, and know that we're okay talking about feelings. I appreciate you starting off by saying that these events aren't normal because I feel like unfortunately as a society, we've become really desensitized to these things, to trauma, to shootings, to violence, because it's that's all that we're seeing on media, on social media. And that was really why we took kind of a break from social media, because it's like, as soon as you open up an app, you're seeing a news story or you're seeing an account from somebody, you know, a witness account who was there. All of my family is in Massachusetts and I'm here in Maryland and there's things that will happen there or vice versa happen here. And I'll mention it And they're like, we didn't see that on the news. Some of these things have become so normal that they're not even making, you know, national news anymore. And that's scary to think of that so much is happening and we don't even know about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people even describe feeling numb or disconnected, dissociated from it. I mean, I can admit that even when I first saw it, it didn't quite, the emotion didn't register. It was sort of like, here we are again. And then of course, as we kind of learned more and more, then the emotions came. I think that speaks to how often we've been hearing about these kinds of things. And if we're raising children in this world. That's really, really hard. And I think there is a bit of a defense mechanism uh, for a lot of us that kicks in, that tells us to just kind of close. That immediate knee-jerk reaction is like, protect yourself so you can protect your kids. So turn off from this in order to not feel it all. And I can really relate to what you just described, which is as the details start coming in and you want to support a cause for some kind of change and you're looking into what it is that happened and therefore how it is that you can support that change and the details start coming in and you start learning more, that's when the chords really start to get more deeply struck and you start to feel the weight of these events more, at least for myself. I think we should be feeling the range of emotions that come with experiencing and living in a world where this is happening as frequently as it is. But as you described, you know, then we have to navigate how we talk about this with our children. And you touched a bit upon age appropriateness. So can you talk to us a little bit about how that can vary? Amanda and I have toddler, I have a year and a half old, so... That's one thing. Amanda has a three and a half year old. And then a lot of our listeners have older children. What are some of the different ways to approach this topic based on age? Yeah. I mean, I think for the little kids, let's say if they haven't been exposed to the news, I think it's really reasonable to want to just protect them from it. Certainly, you know, if there's grief or loss in your family, you know, we can talk about death in general. I think that's actually healthy to talk about. Look, the bird died. That means its body stopped working, right? We can talk about death, but mass shooting, I don't know if we need to sort of initiate conversation with toddlers. If for some reason they've been exposed or they've seen something, then you want to follow their lead. And if they are asking questions, you respond to the question, but you don't want to sort of overdo it because they can't really process the permanence of it. They're black and white thinking, right? Good and bad. They can't understand nuance and complexity. So I think keeping it really simple if you feel like your child is having questions. Does that make sense with your experience? Curious as having little kids, what you've considered. Yeah, I mean, we don't keep the news on. I feel like since the start of the pandemic, I've shied away from the news. So we don't keep it on in the home anymore. Like my husband and I don't really have these conversations in front of our daughter just because she's three and a half and she's listening to everything and picks up on everything. The most recent event, the shooting in Texas, that's not a conversation that I've had with her. I do think if it was physically closer to home and maybe somebody we knew was directly affected, then Mm -hmm. it would be a conversation. Then I kind of go back and forth because it's like, well, I shouldn't 
wait for this to directly affect my family because it already is affecting our family because my daughter will go to school one day. And my mother-in-law and sister-in-law are both in education. They work in a school. They're doing these drills. They're educating these children on what to do. So it's like, I don't want the first time my daughter hear of these things it to be Mm -hmm. very close to home because then that's going to be that shock value. So I feel like I'm constantly torn between my daughter's three and a half. She's a child. I want to protect her innocence, but I also want to educate her that, you know, there are dangers of the world. You know, I grew up very, very sheltered. So when I became an adult, I was kind of like, shit, there's some bad people out there. And I don't think I really, you know, I kind of had false trust in everybody. I was kind of naive. I didn't think that bad things could happen. Never mind that bad things could happen to me. When they do happen, it kind of hits you a little bit harder because you have been not really exposed to it. So I'm kind of back and forth here. I don't know the right answer. I don't know. And none of us know the right answer. None of us have the right answers. We're all just doing what we feel is best for our children. It sounds like you felt growing up that you didn't have as many of the tools to understand what was happening. So you want to arm your child with that knowledge. This is where I think using your judgment at three and a half, does she need to protect herself at this point? No, but maybe that is a conversation. You know, I'm thinking I have a nine-year-old as well who's in schools where they do these kinds of drills. And it's interesting. I saw a research article that said that those kind of drills actually just increase anxiety in kids versus, you know, prepare them because what child is really able to protect themselves. I mean, I think there are some things that you can teach them, right? And this is something we talk about is like, if this bad thing happens, first you try to run, then you try to hide. And then the last thing is try to fight. That's something that I talk with my older child about, but they need to feel like the adults are protecting them. And so I think that's where we reassure them. Sometimes these bad things happen that are sad, that are scary, I don't know why you can say that. I don't know why this happens. Offer reassurance that as your parent, I'm going to do my best to keep you safe. Your teachers are going to do their best to keep you safe. So we want to give that message that the adults are looking out for them. That's not the responsibility of the child to manage all of that, right? Because they can't. I think for me right now with my son only being one and a half, I do want to say that he understands a lot more than either I give him credit for, or I think he does (laughs) because he'll make it known that he's picked up on something I've said or how I'm feeling. And I wouldn't have thought that he did. So what I'm trying to practice right now, because I have heard people say, you know, well, it's not something you really have to talk about with a year old or a toddler, or like explaining how you feel about something to an infant is just, you know, wait till they're a bit older. And for myself, I like to practice not having conversations about, you know, a mass shooting with him, but expressing to him how I'm feeling. So this past weekend, I just wasn't myself. I felt like a little immobilized and it was hard to just be, you know, to just find the joy in those moments with him. It takes me a bit of time to get back to he and I emotionally, to be right back there with him in sync like we normally are. And I give myself the space to care for him, but also care for myself when things like this happen. I will tell him how I'm feeling. I'll practice just sort of having a more catered conversation to him. Um, And that can just look like Aiden Mommy's really tired because a lot of sad things are happening right now and it's affecting mommy or mama's not her usual self right now. And I'm sorry, I love you. It'll be better in a few days. So just practicing kind of letting him know where I'm at so that it feels less foreign when he's actually able to understand. Yeah, I think that's, that's perfect. I think we want to be talking about emotions 
all the time forever, right, with kids. Certainly, I think that's something this generation of parents is really tuned into and trying to make up for previous generations who didn't know how to talk about feelings. So yes, making that the norm, right, that you label feelings and show that your child that that's healthy and it's not a scary thing. I think that sounds like a good place for a kid that age um, who's going to sense that from you. Especially those of us. I'm one of those people. I wear my emotions on my face, on my sleeve, what you know, what, however you want to word it. If I'm upset, everyone around me knows. If I'm sad, everyone around me knows, partly because I'm a big oversharer, but also because I can't hide these things. Kennedy's three and a half, so she's picking up on you know, I could be laughing and I start crying. It's like, why are you crying? Are you sad? You were just laughing. Like they understand that, you know, wheel of emotions. And I really agree with what you're saying, Erin. So much growing up, we were not my family because I was raised by my grandparents. So we were really big on how are you feeling? Emotions were really talked about in our home. But I know for my husband, he's the complete opposite. So he he's gotten a lot better because he realized, you know, it wasn't working for him for a long time. But so often like emotions kind of got swept under the rug. And it was that whole that millennial parents are dealing with now. It's like, you're tough, you can get through this, you're fine, stick it out, you're tough. We don't have to be tough all the time. Like we're human, we feel these emotions. And I really think coming together, you know, as a community and sharing these emotions is what's going to get us past these difficult moments. And, you know, I'm thinking back, we're talking about tragedy and death and grief. And one of the things that my daughter was exposed to a couple of years ago, my husband is active duty military. So since my daughter born, he has deployed, you know, we've had friends that have deployed back January 6th, the Capitol, my husband was there. Mm. So, you know, I stayed away from the news, but also, you know, my daughter was only two, but you have to also explain to her why her dad hasn't been home for a week, why he comes home and he mentally, emotionally is beaten down. These are conversations that you have to have. I want my daughter to form her own emotions and opinions on things. So it's like, you don't want to push too much how you're feeling, but you also need to let her know what's going on. So it's just... Parenting is difficult, obviously, and we shouldn't have to have these difficult conversations with our children, but unfortunately we need to. Right. And that is hard for children to understand. What we do know is that kids are very focused on how things impact them. That's mm -hmm. normal and healthy. And so when we're sharing things that are happening, we're giving them information so that they feel like they have some control. That's why we have routines, right? This is what happens next. They don't have a lot of power. So having a sense of flow, a routine helps them feel like they know what's happening. So that's part of why we're telling them this is what's happening so that you know what's going on. But also we want to offer reassurance of their safety and their security. And that even saying daddy's being deployed, daddy's going to be away for a little while. You're reassuring her that, but mommy's here, grandma's coming over, right? Like you have people around you to feel safe. We want to balance those out. In general, Erin, how would you approach talking about death with a child? Uh, not necessarily tied to a tragedy, but just for listeners in a more general sense, talking about death with young children, how is that something that you would approach? Kids have a way of eventually kind of bringing it up or asking about it. First of all, hard conversations, I think we never want to put pressure on one conversation. It's like, this is the moment. This is the hard conversation. Like when it comes to death or like racism or sex, ideally we want to talk about these things in normal ways throughout their lives, right? First of all, not putting pressure on any one conversation, but I think answering questions and really talking about things really directly 
helps kids understand. They don't understand when you say things that may be comforting to an adult, like talking about like spirituality, maybe like saying, oh, grandma went and God wanted grandma to be with her. Or even saying like grandma went to sleep and never woke up or things like that can be really confusing. So we want to be direct and say things like, yes, everything that lives eventually dies. Remember when we saw that bird on the side of the road? Its body stopped working. That's the same thing that's happened with grandma. And so that means we can't see her anymore. And that means that we're going to feel sad. And then kids may have questions. They may be confused. They may start to at some point realize, wait a second, does that mean you're going to die? Does that mean I'm going to die? I remember having some conversations with a very sensitive older child when he was probably around five. There were a lot of conversations about that and wanting security. And there were tears. There was almost like this like grieving of realizing he's going to lose his parents someday, which was really hard. And so trying to just validate their feelings. Yeah, I know that's really scary. I know that's sad. They may even ask questions about spirituality, which we can answer if you believe in heaven or things like that. I think you can offer that. But part of it is just kind of allowing them those feelings. Now, my other son, he's just gonna sort of says it and he sort of walks around and says, oh, my mom died. It just is like repeating it. And sometimes kids will kind of play and act things out. So we want to just give them space to process it and answer questions as best we can. I'm glad that you mentioned the play factor because I know really until our kids are about, you know, six, seven years old, that's really how they learn and that's how they're expressing their emotion. This isn't something um, I actually have shared publicly on the podcast and I was debating whether or not it would come up in today's episode. Um, and Adriana, of course, knows, but um, I actually had a miscarriage a couple weeks ago. I was... Um, mm. 10 weeks pregnant and went in for the first ultrasound and our baby measured six weeks and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And this was something that we then had to explain to our three and a half year old daughter who we've been pretty open um, about death and passing because we've lost grandparents and our dog. So it's something that, like you said, they do just kind of naturally bring up. She had a friend that lost a family member and it was, it was a big topic of conversation for a little bit. But reflecting back over the past couple of weeks, that advice that you just said about it being this big conversation, I wish I kind of handled things a little bit differently. And I'm not regretting anything, but looking back, it was something as soon as I got home from the appointment where I'm physically not okay, mentally not okay. My husband and I haven't even processed our emotions. And we're like, Kennedy, you need to sit down. We need to talk to you. And it's like, she's three years old. And, you know, we told her we we are religious and we do believe in heaven. So we told her, you know, the baby went to heaven with grandpa and with the other people who are there. And then it was like, why did God take our baby? I'm mad at God. And it's like, oh gosh, like, you know, maybe that was a poor choice of words that, you know, God wanted this baby and just the terms that you use and I've noticed a lot through her play when she plays with her baby dolls, I'll overhear her say things like, well, I'm not getting a baby anymore. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I try not to interject when she's playing because I don't want to put my own emotions. But of course, you know, I'm home with her. So she was there for seeing me physically and emotionally through these things. So these were conversations that we had to have and they're awful. You know, after going through it the past couple of weeks, this is not a conversation I'd want anyone to have with their child. You know, unfortunately we had to do that. And luckily for us, she is a bit older. So I do think 
like Adriana said, they understand a lot more than we kind of give them credit. She's grasping it, but I think it will kind of take some time to truly understand the magnitude of the situation. Um, And that's something I really debated. I was always planning on sharing, of course, on this public platform because, you know, we advocate so much for having these difficult conversations and normalizing these conversations. So it feels amiss if I don't talk about something that, you know, I've gone through and we're talking about death and grief. So it um, was just something that unfortunately hits very close to home on a multitude of levels. I'm so sorry that that happened. And I feel honored to be able to kind of be here with you while you're sharing that news. Sounds like you handled as best you could. It's so hard to do something so like have a hard conversation when you're in your grief, right? Often we're not in our best place at the time of these conversations. So I hope you're having compassion with yourself about any way that you feel like you handle it because it sounds like you did fine and did the best you could. And it also, it honors her grief, right? That sometimes Mm -hmm. adults assume that the kids don't know, don't care. The kids grieve all the time. They move from classroom to classroom. They lose friends. So I think just you giving her the space to grieve is really beautiful, but also I'm sure very hard. Just wanted to take a quick break to talk about Oh Hey Mama Hair, the official hair care of momhood. Oh Hey Mama is scalp care made for postpartum hormonal and thinning hair types. I know you guys have heard me talk about my hair loss and changes I had while I was pregnant with my daughter and how my hair never really quite went back to what it was before. That's why I love Oh Hey Mama Hair Care. Their products are designed not only for postpartum, but beyond. Using plant-based ingredients, they smell great and all without harmful chemicals. I've been using their nourishing scalp wash and my hair feels softer, stronger, and has allowed me to go longer between wash days, which us moms know is a huge plus. Some of the other must-have products include the restorative hair serum and rapid replenish conditioner. Oh Hey Mama is small batch crafted, mom owned, and made with love in the USA. Check out their website at ohheymamahair.com to order your new must-have hair products today. Happy shopping! As parents, I know we're so overcritical of ourselves. Everything we do, everything we say, I know we just recently recorded an episode on mom guilt. So I think we get so consumed by saying the right thing, and I'm trying to be better in general about Sometimes it doesn't always have to be the right thing, but it's always more so the approach and the timing and taking time. You know, when these events happen, if you're not directly affected by it, it's something that you can wait a couple days on. You can process for yourself or in the instance of Texas or Buffalo, educating yourself on why these things happen, what we can do to change you know, how we can help having for older children kind of offering that this happened but this is what our family is going to do about it. This is how we're going to move forward. And really for older children, having these conversations that they can kind of be a part of, hopefully, I want my children to change the world one day. So hopefully they'll all have a part in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know we kind of stayed with the younger children. I know you had questions about the older children. I think absolutely giving them a sense of control and power, just like we want. We want to feel like there are things that we can do. So getting them involved and, you know, not pushing it, but encouraging them to do that, I think is absolutely helpful. And also like if they're not, I mean, my sensitive nine-year-old, sometimes I have to almost pull myself back. I'm such an activist and I'm always Mm -hmm. talking about these things. And I think he senses that it's a lot for him. So I've even learned, relate to you, Amanda, around kind of oversharing. And so I (laughs) sort of noticed myself, like I, he had heard a little bit about, what had happened and uh, do you want to talk about do you have any questions and he was like 
no. <laughs> so I had to kind of respect that and let him process it. And he knows that I'm here and we have lots of check-ins and things like that. And we've talked about hard things. So I feel okay with following his lead, but that can be hard when you are someone who maybe wants to have these kind of conversations and your kid isn't quite ready. You know, Amanda, you've said so many things that have really hit home when you were just speaking. And one of them is that we did just have that episode that we recorded together on mom guilt. And I think it's so easy to look back on a moment or on how we handled something or on a conversation and really get hung up on the what ifs or the did I do this right? And we kind of ruminate because we want what's best for our children. And I think that speaks to the fact that we are good moms. We're great moms and we want what's best for our kids. And we're going to fumble sometimes. And the thing about it is that we all just talked about the fact that as kids growing up, you know, our parents didn't talk to us about a lot of things. I remember 9-11 vividly, and it was not mm-hmm. something we talked about. I remember Columbine. I was a school-age child at that point, and we didn't talk about it at home. I remember experiencing shooting drills at school and didn't talk about it at home. So there were a lot of things that, you know, memos were going out to homes about what was going on at school and how they were handling the shootings and whatnot and how that was affecting what was happening in the classroom. And they weren't things that we discussed. And and that could really spill over into so many aspects of how, you know, I experienced things as a child, just generally speaking, coming from war, coming from a place of extreme violence. These were all things that just were not discussed really ever, not even until I was much older. I think there is something to be said for the fact that we're all trying, you know, and Mm -hmm. for every next generation, we've already broken a cycle, which is that we're not staying silent. Even this episode, Amanda and I went back and forth and we were like, we really want to do something to give parents just this pause and this moment to maybe have a cathartic moment or to hear from someone that can give us some actionable tips on how to speak to our children and to not be silent. You know, this is a moment to not be silent. And it's hard when you're recording yourself because you're like, I don't want to say anything that might be triggering for someone. It extends beyond just the children. What keeps us going even when we're having tough conversations. And what Amanda shared was really so intimate and important is that we're having the tougher conversations. And I think that is more important than whether or not we're saying everything just so and saying everything perfectly. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've talked about, I guess we're all in the millennial generation, even like perfectionism and right and wrong were so valued. And I think Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is be more authentic and connecting. And I think that's what we're trying to do as parents and with each other, right? Having these messy, imperfect conversations, which connects us to people. People don't want perfect. You can't connect to perfect. And so that's such a great model for our children. I always say our best tool is actually repair. That if I make a mistake and I say it wrong, it's not over. I can go back. I can clarify. I can, you know, so it doesn't have to be one conversation. Adriana, you brought up such a good point because I know I was in fifth grade when 9-11 happened. I remember seeing it on the news and not knowing what was happening, not knowing if I felt safe. I didn't even know logistically how far New York was from where I lived in Massachusetts. Our generation, you know, I'm 30. No one's talking about the fact that we're literally living through history and that everything that's happening, like I'm getting, you know, mentally exhausted from living through so many 
traumatic historical events. We've seen people who are in their 30s, Sandy Hook, 9-11, the COVID pandemic, and politically so much happening. It's like, at what point do we take a breather? And I know this episode was directed really towards how do we talk to our children, but do you have any tips, Erin, for us when we're just feeling really just mentally exhausted and drained? And how do we move on from the bad news? I feel like it can kind of bring you down a little bit. So what are some tips to process emotionally really what is happening? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think we're experiencing compounded grief and complex mm-hmm. trauma at this point. I think uh, it's been, we've really been hit like hard over and over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, just uh, two weeks ago or something, the formula shortage was terrifying. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it just feels like it's one thing after another. And we're all exhausted from the pandemic. Nobody's like recharged. (laughs) You know, it's not, not, we all needed like a major reprieve. And yet we're just getting hit when we're already, no easy answers there. But I think you're prioritizing rest and recharging over, let's say, like productivity might be helpful, right? Kind of really tuning in to your own needs. Do you need to connect to somebody? Do you need to do something that feels like you're outside, that's relaxing? Like, so part of this, I think, is just checking in and then assessing what your needs are. And I think being really compassionate with yourself and others right now, especially when none of us are at our best. So the fact that you keep going and you take care of your kid every day and do all the things, that's that's amazing. That's enough. And not holding ourselves to impossible standards, which is really easy to do in our motherhood culture. I think for me, the biggest thing definitely to touch on what you just said is giving ourselves grace because we really never know and giving everyone around us grace because we never know what somebody else is going through. And especially somebody who's the opposite of me who may not be so open and such an overshare, they could be holding something really big inside. You know, you don't know how people are personally affected by, you know, the world and the events. So not only giving ourselves grace, but giving the people around us grace. And I know for me, I'm such a recovering perfectionist. You know, I make these to-do lists that I was never going to accomplish. I set these goals that were never going to happen. And I've really, over the past couple months, tried to ease up on that because I'm like, look at what the last two and a half years has brought us. And I work in healthcare too. So I'm like, the fact that I've survived the past two and a half years, you know, with my husband being activated numerous times, working in healthcare, keeping my child fed and safe, like, I'm not not doing anything. And I think that this mom culture of like these mom bosses and superhero moms and trying to do everything, it's like, if all you did today was fed yourself, your child and kept everyone somewhat happy, like, that's enough. That's more than enough. We don't have to do everything all the time. Absolutely. This is the time to reject the Pinterest mom, the super mom. I mean, (laughs) Does anyone even want to do that anymore? I feel like there's such a reaction now that people are just so tired. I do love everything that makes me feel like a Pinterest mom, but I am trying to get out of that. I feel like our generation a lot, we really care how people view us too. So we care so much about what we put out there because of how we'll be judged and viewed. And I do think a lot of that is because we are so overcritical of one another. I wanted to ask too, personally, I know you mentioned you have a nine-year-old, you know, I don't have a school-age child. So are they talking about these things at school? Like I know my sister, she has two school-age children. She's told me things like with, you know, COVID just different they talk about those kind of things but at nine what conversations are being had are these these children being spoken to at home or seeing the news and then they're gathering together or the teachers speaking on it it's a good question in my experience obviously I don't know what's happening in all schools and places but 
there hasn't been a, a lot of school sponsored conversations. That's again, my experience, maybe that's not everyone's. It feels very much like we'll get sort of like a notice, like let's say of an active shooter drill. They just sort of let us know. But you know, I have a son who doesn't give me a lot of information. So maybe they are having conversations that I'm not quite aware of. It does feel like it's kind of at, at home where people back these mm-hmm. conversations to happen, which I actually think is maybe a part of the problem that as a society, just thinking about school, and kind of what the function of school is, having more education around some of these things like emotions and mental health might actually do a lot of kids good. Though I know teachers already have so much on their plates. That's been my experience. One question that Amanda and I had is as our children get older and are able to communicate a bit more with us, what are signs that we wouldn't necessarily want to miss in our Mm. children? What are signs that a child might be experiencing anxiety over an event like this or over news that's very distressing. I know every child processes things a bit differently. Erin, you just mentioned that your son isn't much of a sharer, doesn't really like to talk about these things, has let you know that no thanks, I'm good. Amanda's daughter is processing through play right now over something tragic that happened in their family. What should we not be amiss to when we're with our children? What are some things that we might want to notice in order to support them the best we can? Yeah, I think probably just kind of behavioral changes. So if your kid is acting in a new way, I think that's something that we would pay attention to. There's like maybe an increase in aggressive behavior, maybe trouble going to sleep, you know, not separation anxiety, right? Again, doesn't mean that there's something like pathological about that, but that is something to notice. And I think a response might be asked questions and kind of check in and sometimes even asking maybe even a little bit further, like, hey, I know we talked about this thing last week and I'm noticing that you're having a little hard time going to sleep at night and separating from us. How is that feeling? What's going on? Anything on your mind, right? And sometimes it depends on the timing. Like I said, my son doesn't always want to talk, but actually sometimes during nighttime, right before bed, things will kind of come out. Making sure that you do have moments of connection that are predictable can help you have those conversations when your kid's ready. But a lot of kids are having anxiety right now. So many parents listening to this are probably relating. So I think, yeah, behavioral things, aggression, even little ticks and things can can be a sign of anxiety. Fears of monsters and things are kind of normal at certain ages. But if that feels like it's getting in the way of their ability to function in some way, then I think putting more attention toward your child. I, I think often people get scared, right, when there's something wrong. I just want to say, like, as a mom and a therapist, there are going to be so many bumps <laughs> along the way. Our kids are not always happy and content. I think if we can kind of ride those waves and show them that we can handle all of their feelings and everything, that really helps them to weather those storms. We get really scared. Obviously, we can get support. You can go to a therapist to sort of trust that you can weather these storms goes a long way for your kids to be able to feel like, okay, I can get through this time. The thing my daughter has started doing, she's always looking at me going, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, what a loaded (laughs) question. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think I swapped the laundry out and it's going to have to be rewashed. And I'll answer like that, whatever I am actually thinking about. And we've actually started saying it now back to her. And sometimes it's something like, I really want sour cream and onion chips to something incredibly profound. And I'm like, okay, wow, you're three. Like, should we talk about this? And I think that goes so much into what you're saying about your children and their different personalities that this isn't a 
script that we can write out on how to talk to your children because there is no right or wrong way to have these conversations. Right. I think we want scripts. I think scripts are helpful. I know there's a lot of great Instagram accounts that give us ways of talking about the things that maybe we didn't experience. I think it's helpful to have some of these, but not to be afraid to change them and to make it authentic. And something that you said that I really appreciate what's resonating with me most right now. And it's just a great reminder of how we carry ourselves through our own experiences and through the world is that these are ongoing things, how we broach racism or violence with our children. It's not a singular conversation. We're modeling how we feel about these things and where we stand on social issues through our behavior, through how we move through the world. And our children are watching, even when we're not having those conversations with them directly and sitting them down or offering them a space to ask questions, even when it's not direct. Or you could say really that it's directly, they're watching us. They're watching us just be in the world. I think that's really important. This is ongoing. This isn't a podcast episode or a conversation. This is really how you generally handle and how you move through the world when it comes to how you want your children to perceive you. And that has to come from a place of authenticity. I love what you just said, Adriana, because I think so much so we can talk and have all of these conversations with our children. But if we're not modeling this behavior, we know that that's how children learn. You know, kids don't listen to what we say, but they always will copy what they see. So, you know, the moments that we're weak, the moments that we speak up, sit down. You know, I think of that show all the time, the What Would You Do show, where it's like they're behind the camera. You know, the people who speak out against something or act against something, most of the time their kids are right there. And those are the things that our children are going to take with them. We're silent on issues or if we're making comments, these are the things that our children are going to hear. You know, we're their first teachers. We're their first relationships. We're really their first everything. So they're going to model the behavior that they see, especially younger children who aren't vocal. I know my daughter, a lot of her behavior and her tendencies, I'll look at my husband like, where did she get that from? My husband's like, you, you do that. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, okay. And I wanted to ask Erin, we've talked so much about our children and how as moms we're hyper-focused on them, their behavior, how they're feeling, how they're coping. But what about us? I've had anxiety really since I was a child. I feel like I'm pretty in tune, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I reached out to a therapist. I'm going to start going back to therapy. I've had a lot go on. So I know this is something that's good for me. But for people who maybe are just experiencing anxiety and depression for the first time, What's this symptom or maybe a, I don't want to say red flag, but something to be like, hey, I need to reach out and get some help. It's never too early. If you're suffering in any way, if you're Mm -hmm. thinking maybe I'm anxious or maybe I'm depressed, it's not going to hurt you to find a therapist. In fact, I think the earlier the better, right? Before things get worse, sometimes it's easier to even shop around. I want to normalize that not every therapist Mm -hmm. is going to be the right fit. It can take some time to really kind of get yourself established and set up with somebody who you feel like is a good therapist for you. But often when people are really suffering more clinically, it's getting in the way of their functioning some way. That's kind of how we measure. Again, I think if you're suffering and still functioning, it's still worth getting help. There may be physical symptoms, right? So they may have trouble sleeping, may feel physical like heart palpitations, or maybe it's more just kind of a a mental experience where they're thinking and they can't turn off their thoughts. They're having intrusive thoughts, right? So these are 
things that are getting in the way of being able to sleep and be in relationships with people. So those would be good reasons. But again, if you're feeling like you're suffering in any way, therapy is really effective for a lot of people. A lot of us just need a place to feel understood. And we're carrying all of this grief and trauma and stress of being a person in this world right now, particularly. We're carrying that in our bodies and in our minds. And so having somebody hold that for you can be really helpful. Also, medication is a tool that I'm also in support of, not necessarily because I think it always fixes an imbalance or something in your brain, but because it helps. It's a support. Erin, what you just said in always resonated with me once again, as someone who has dealt with and struggled with intrusive thoughts since having my son, there was a period where they were pretty intense and it was interfering with just my day to day. And I think I'm like the poster child for, what was the term you just used? Functioning while suffering. I am someone who is a big proponent of shopping for a therapist, knowing that it can be tough as someone who's been in and out of therapy for years. It can be tough to find someone that feels like the right fit through no fault of anyone's. It's just we're people, we're complex, we're multifaceted, we're layered, and finding someone who you really feel safe with, especially talking about these more vulnerable things, can take time. When I came out of a sort of tougher period with those intrusive thoughts and anxiety, I started looking for a therapist when I was feeling good because I felt more capable to tackle it then. And now I'm back in a space of having those intrusive thoughts since the shooting in Buffalo and now in Texas and being back in my home country where there was a war. There's just a lot going on for me mentally at play. I find myself going into these hypothetical situations where I'm like trying to play out what I would do in these really extreme violent situations. Mm -hmm. And it brings me into a place of obviously extreme anxiety because who wants to go there? And luckily I have established a relationship Relationship with a therapist recently, I now have that as a tool. So I just want to say that coming from personal experience, I think it is so helpful to not wait until you're in the depths of having extreme intrusive thoughts or unable to get out of bed. If you're feeling at all like something is interfering with how you function, even just mentally, it can just be you're going through your day as you normally would, but your mind feels very foggy with these thoughts. Look then, because it could take some time. And I've felt much better knowing that I have someone that I can talk to if things do get dark again. We just recently had that conversation, Adriana, when I was kind of shopping around for a therapist. It was like, for me, my anxiety always manifests as like, fatigue and I have a hard time doing anything and it's not so much the like staying in bed and that it's just I'm just tired like chronically chronically tired so once I feel that it's like oh okay I need to contact somebody because I agree I think it's important to have that established or get so far gone but where you're really deep into it I find especially with the intrusive thoughts and we did a whole episode on that it's really hard to pull yourself out of that this episode really has just encapsulated so much that is going on and Aaron we appreciate you so much for joining us today. And I know we reached out really last minute and wanted to record this and get this out to our listeners as soon as possible, because in today's world, the most urgent work that we do as parents is really to create a peaceful home for us to grow our children in and to educate and to share and to vocalize and hopefully raise the generation that's going to change this world. And I truly, truly believe that we have the power as parents to do that. 
before we end, we just want to ask, we ask all of our guests, what is your go-to coffee order? Before I respond to that, it's going to be very exciting, I'm sure. I do want to just acknowledge both of your vulnerability and modeling, having these hard conversations and sharing your own things that you're experiencing. So I just want to affirm both of you, what you're doing is really powerful. And I'm sure there's many people who are going to listen to this and connect to you. So just wanted to say that. I lately have been making iced coffee in a blender with ice and making it kind of like a frappuccino. And it's been really tasty. That sounds delicious. And Erin, thank you so much for joining us. As Amanda said, we know this was really last minute. You're someone that we have so much respect for and we're one of the first people we thought of to reach out to. So it means a lot to us that you did this with us today, that you navigated this conversation and that you were able to provide our listeners really with some actionable tips, but also with just giving ourselves the grace to feel what we feel and to do the best we can as moms. We really appreciate having you on today. Thank you so much. Where can they find you and learn more? I know you said you do a lot of telehealth and things like that. So where could they reach out? I'm seeing people who are in North Carolina and Maryland. So if you're interested in therapy with me, you can go to my website, which is erinsparrtherapy.com. And I'm also hanging out a lot on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is feminist.mom.therapist. Awesome. And we'll have all that in the episode description so everyone can find you. And Erin, again, thank you so much for joining us. I know these conversations are sometimes very difficult to have, but we strongly believe that they're necessary to have. So thank you again so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 